Hi there, my friends. You're listening to Robert Miller. Follow your dreams. It's a pleasure to be with you. And this is Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Puff the Magic Dragon. You heard it right. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Tom Chapin, a Grammy-winning musician, singer, songwriter, and storyteller who is best known for his work in folk and children's music, including a new version of Happy Birthday, which we'll talk about. He's won three Grammy Awards for Best Spoken Album for Children, and his brother was Harry Chapin. From 1971 to 76, he hosted Make-A-Wish, an Emmy and Peabody Award-winning Sunday morning children's TV series. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all of my musical guests, Tom and I are going to do what I call a song fest. We're going to play a handful of his best works. We're going to talk about them. We're going to get the backstories. And nobody else does this in podcasts, I can assure you. And you also know by now, I think, that I feature a song of mine in every episode underneath the introduction and at the end. And I always try to make that song relevant somehow to my guest. And in this instance, it was actually pretty easy for me because the song that I've chosen is called To The Zoo. Why did I choose this song? Well, that song is all about a children's fantasy visit to the zoo that I wrote for my grandchildren. And Tom is so big in children's music that I just thought it worked perfectly. So Tom Chapin, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thanks so much, Robert. Nice to be with you. You bet. So I want to talk about the whole children's thing. I haven't had anybody else on the podcast that specialized in children's music. What led you there? Being a parent, first of all. You know, I've been a singer-songwriter since uh, I was 12 with my brothers, Harry and, and Steve. We started the Chapin Brothers. And then... I became a solo performer, did some other TV shows, I had a show in uh, Make-A-Wish, and people kept when I was doing Make-A-Wish, which was on from 71 to 76, everybody said, uh, you got you got to do a kid, kid's record. And my idea of a kid's record was Raffi, you know, like for two or three-year-olds who were great, but for that age, and it, they already had done it, you know. And then my daughter, Abigail became eight years old and Lily was six years old. And the question was, what do you play in the in the car? for your eight and six-year-old who are too old for Raffi and too young for Rebellion songs. I mean, they liked, they loved the Beatles, some of the Beatles stuff. They loved Bob Marley. They loved the Eagles. I get to sing harmony, you know. And uh, so I thought, boy, this is the time to do a recording because, you know, once they get into middle school, you don't want to listen to what your kids are listening to, you know. <laughs> this is the last time that parents listen to what they're what with their kids. And so I got together with some great songwriters, John Forster and Michael Mark, and we wrote an album called Family Tree. And I I asked a, a, a struggling folk singer named Judy Collins if she would sing a couple of songs on it. And she said yes. And all of a sudden, A&M picked me up and I suddenly had a different career as, as a family 
artist. And my whole thrust was always been family. This is not, you know, I do a concert for kids. It's not like you put the kids in the front and they, uh, the grandparents and parents are in the back talking. No, you sit with your kids. It's a folk concert for families. And that's really what the music has been using the great forms, you know, story songs, rounds, whatever you could do. And I'm steeped in uh, the folk idiom because I grew up on Pete Seeger and the Weavers and, and my brothers and I, you know, played in the village and, and did the, all that stuff. So it, it, it seemed unnatural for me. And uh, I really loved it. I think you're actually right, though, that, you know, Raffi kind of had that market for, for young kids. I was thinking to myself before I was talking to you today, who else do I know that's like specializing in children's music? And I know you've got your own idea with that. There's a guy named David Grover. Did you know him? I know the name. I don't know him personally. David Grover. In fact, he played for years and years up in the Berkshire Mountains of Massachusetts that we spoke about earlier. He had a, a, a piece of that children's market as well. But I think it was a brilliant idea to go into that whole area because you kind of had it to yourself, didn't you? Well, the interesting thing for me was one of the guys who wrote for uh, for Sesame Street uh, said, uh, it's the last bastion of freedom in the recorded world. You know, <laughs> If you're with a record company, they want everything to be, what are you? Are you folk? Are you jazz? Are you soul? Yep. Are you hip hop? You know, and folk music, it's what the song says, you know. So on, on my record, we might have a classical piece. You know, we wrote, uh, we stole, we, 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 we collaborated with dead composers, you know. So I, we wrote a thing for, you know, for Swan Lake, you know, don't make me go to school today. Oh, mom, don't make me go to school. Da, da, da. And you don't have to pay royalties for no those. No royalties, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and, and then you write, you know, a, a blues, you know, da, 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 one day it snowed snowed real hard but and then the next one is a is a folk tone we're a family and we're and you know being of, of the age that we are you know we, we grew up with the kind of open radio thing where there was all this different musics and 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 and, and doing a kids record you had to, the chance to do that and i had great players i'm here in new york and you know uh, uh i got the best players uh, eric weisberg was on almost all of them playing uh, mandolin or banjo or fiddle or whatever and uh ron petswater on bass and you know I mean, these amazing guys uh, richard crooks so it was wonderful and because i was with a m they gave me you know 50 grand to do a record <laughs> this is a long time ago it's a long time ago right and we made it for 30 grand with you know with background singers and strings and horns and the whole thing and it was what a delight you know to, to be, and i had these great collaborators i work with and um so it's been fun i did have now I have 13 recordings and there's a body of work which our teachers, you know, have been using it during, uh, well, we'll talk about this, but during during the COVID, one of the songs that we're going to play today was played, I think, more than any other song by teachers who suddenly had to teach music on Zoom. And it's a round for the round earth called This Pretty Planet that Judy Collins sang on the record. You know, it's so interesting. The folk idiom, the folk side of music was so big at one time in the 50s and the 60s. I've had people like Peter Yarrow and, and Noel Paul Stuckey sure. on the podcast, and they talked about what it was like in Greenwich Village and growing up in that era. And of course, there were so many messages that were contained in those songs. Of course, music has gone in a very different direction. I like to write message songs myself. I don't call them protest songs as such. Some of them are protests, but 
I think the idea of musicians writing songs that have meaning, that have a message in them, is still very important. Would you agree? Absolutely. And that's one of the other things that happens with the kids stuff is uh, one of the big ones for me has been the environment. And, and we have uh, an album called This Pretty Planet, which was nominated for a Grammy in 2000. And uh, we just re-released it or are re-releasing it now uh, because the songs, you know, uh, haven't gone away. You know, <laughs> they're just, just as, as important now as they were then and maybe more so. And so I, I, I and also just in terms of what you write music for changes as you get older, you know. You know, you're, you're you're 19 and 20 and you and you want to get laid and you want to have people like you, you know, and now I'm 76, you know, and uh, and for the last 20, 30 years, you want to write songs that mean something to you. Relationship songs are still very important, but so are things that you might be, you might want to be talking about that 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 keep you up at night, you know, and uh, so it's it's been a, a wonderful ride. And also some of my heroes, uh, Tom Paxton, Peter Seeger, Woody Guthrie, Peter, Paul and Mary all did uh, the same thing I did, which was end up writing some and, and, and performing for, for families. I'm still one of these guys. When I write music, I believe that an artist has an obligation to comment on the social issues of the day, just as you were talking about global warming and things of that sort. I don't see any reason why musicians and other artists shouldn't be commenting on these things. I know it's frowned upon. In fact, I've actually interviewed several people that said, you know, I don't like to take a position on any controversial issue <laughs> because I'm going to alienate half my audience. <laughs> and I guess maybe that's a modern way to look at it, but it's not the way that I would look at it. What do you think? Well, I totally agree with you that, that that's where I live. Uh, but it's also the whole, there's a whole uh, genre of music that, that started a uh, good part of it, which is hip hop, which has always talked politically as well as sexually and everything else. And I'm not steeped in that at all. But I do know that, that that's been an interesting uh, energy there that's, that's, that's activated that whole wor side of the world, which is you... You know, the, the, you talk about what's, you know, in things that, that really feel personal, but also are, are larger than that. So I think it's, music's always had that. I mean, it's, it's the reason why every time a, a dictator gets in, one of the first things they do is wipe out the artists, you know, <laughs> and, they, and, and musicians and the poets and, the, and, and then the intellectuals, you know, there's a reason for that. It's too, it's powerful, this music stuff. Oh, yeah, you're right about that. You won three Grammys for Best Spoken Album for Children. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> well, it was first of all, it was surprising. Uh, I, I was nominated eight times and five for the for the for the recordings. And you and the recordings are you know are your heart blood. You know you you spend half a year writing and recording this, and you want to win a Grammy for that. But it's, it's, this is true across the board with the Grammy world. Uh, who wins it? Elmo wins it. Why? Because Elmo's on television. <laughs> you know, and so that's fine. And I narrated these children's books. I mean, it took me two hours in the afternoon to narrate a children's book. And then, you know, and they were based on songs, you know, uh, Mama Don't Allow No ma Banjo Play In Here. That's the first song, Mama Don't Allow. Second was, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Well, I don't know why she swallowed the fly, perhaps. She would. And the third one was was my favorite. It was, was, uh, was uh, the great Steve Goodman tune, uh, riding on the city of New Orleans. So they, they were based on the songs. And what you're up against, this is the, this is the uh, behind the scenes scene, but you're, you're, I'm, I'm one of the five nominated. And I'm up against all these actors, you know, 
Vanessa Redgrave, uh, David Steinberg, there's going to be a median, you know, and if you're voting, the people who look at the children's narration are all the people who are in the children's music world. <laughs> and they look at these other people and say, oh, Tom's one of us. Let's move over. So I won those, you know. <laughs> but you know what? There's three of them sitting downstairs on the, on the, uh, on my, uh, you know, on my shelf. And I'm very proud. And, you know, the, the first one, I, 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 it happens in the afternoon, you know, and uh, because they don't put You're it not on primetime TV. Not on primetime huh? television, no. You don't have Beyonce up on the stage with you, huh? No. But the first one I won, I got there and said, wow, thank you very much. And I sat down. Next year, my wife, we down skiing. She broke her, her knee. I think I'm not going to win this one. I'm home. I get a call from Kathy, Kathy Fink of another friend. She says, where are you? She's, I'm in here. You just won. You know? And it was okay. And, uh, and, and, and I remember sitting with Tom Paxton, uh, who was up for the best, uh, best folk artist album. And it comes to my thing. And, and, and I'm ha I have the best children's record, you know. And and I don't win. And the one that won the one that year was a Mr. Rogers record. He had died that year, and they did a Mr. Rogers record with you know major stars. And Pat, Tom turns to me and goes, "Hard to beat a dead guy." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "You're right." You know, I was always wondering about the whole Grammy thing. It always seems to me like a black magic kind of thing. Like, how do you get nominated? Who's voting for these people? But listen, when you win, you win. Okay, it's an award. Good for you. It, it's kind of jive until you win. <laughs> you say, "Oh, okay," uh, but I, I'm I'm actually thrilled by it. You know, it, it means that some people know who, what you do, and as you know, Robert, it, it's 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 a it's a world in which it's hard to be recognized, and uh, and when you are, it's like you feel a little bit humbled and you feel really good, but you're just thankful. Yes. Well, congratulations to you. Hi, everybody. I'm Robert Miller, your host. As you know by now, I'm a professional musician in addition to hosting this Follow Your Dream podcast. In fact, I just released my 13th album, all since I followed my dream after I turned 60. The album is called It's Alive, and it's a live recording by my band, Project Grand Slam, featuring 13 of our greatest hits, recorded at festivals in Pennsylvania and Serbia. The reviewers have called it a masterpiece and an instant classic. I introduced this album through a podcast episode, which has now been downloaded by thousands of listeners from over 120 countries, which shows the power and worldwide reach of this podcast. When I began the podcast, I had no idea where it would go. But here we are, just over two years later, and the podcast is ranked in the top 1% with listeners in 200 countries. It's been a joyride for me, my guests, and for my thousands of listeners. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast so you get each episode when it airs. And you must visit our website at followyourdreampodcast.com to check out all of our episodes, our famous guests, and much more. 
I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. All right, let's go to the second part of this interview. Where we're going to do that song fest. And I really wanted to play and start off with that happy birthday song of yours because it <laughs> so intrigued me that you had the uh, the nerve to go out there and write a song called Happy Birthday. Probably the original of that is the song that's most sung in the entire world. I thought it was a brilliant move to come up with another song. Happy birthday, happy birthday, we love you. Happy birthday and may all your dreams come true When you blow out the candles One light stays aglow It's the love light in your eyes Where'er you go Happy birthday Okay, the only other one that I had heard that had done something like that was McCartney with the Beatles, right? Who sure. wrote that birthday song. But tell me how you got to that. I didn't write it. Uh-oh. Uh, in fact, I think we're not sure where it came from. Uh, I heard it from a folk singer up in Canada, who his name I always forget, and I, I'm, I apologize to him. Uh, and it's 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 the melody for the uh, the Merry Widow Waltz, da-da-da-da, by Franz Lehar. And I think... There was a radio show in New York City in the 30s where somebody sang that every time there was a birthday on his shows. I have some kind of a WNYC or something, but I don't know where it came from. But however, and you know, it's in the public domain. So, you know, you get your, the, the arranger of it. And, uh, but it's a great, I mean, it's, it's a song that uh, I can't tell you how many people now sing that to their kids and to their families. And we, we do your song. Thanks. I appreciate it. But, but, but it's, it's not mine, but it, it's yours now, you know. From now on, will you please take credit for the song? Okay. okay? Nobody <laughs> wants to know that the guy who wrote the Merry Widow did it. It's a Tom Chapin song. All right, let's go to the next one. This is Family Tree. Before the days of Jello lived a prehistoric fellow who loved a maid and courted her beneath the banyan tree. And they had lots of children, and their children all had children. And they kept on having children until one of them had me. We're a family and we're a tree Our roots go deep down in history From my great-great-granddaddy reaching up to me We're a green and growing family tree And I want to put this together with Ellis Island, which is the song after that. Rich folk got off early, but they made the steerage wait for the barge that finally took us to the place called America's Gate. Ellis Island, I haven't come here looking for your promised land. I don't believe your streets are paved with gold. But I know there's work, I know there's land, I know you need man. When I was listening to these songs together, I said there's a similar theme to these two songs. 
Would you agree with me and tell me a little bit about them? That's funny. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, and, and there's some other songs. There's one called Salad Bowl, which uh, that, that, that fits in the same place. We wanted to write a song for families about uh, the idea that the world is really all people and they're the same in more ways than they are different. And uh, and John Forster came up, you know, we, had, we, we didn't know how silly we'd get, you know. And he said, he said before the days of Jell-O, <laughs> uh, lived, lived a prehistoric fellow. And so we started there and said, okay, we're going to do Yip Harburg and we're just going to go silly. And it was wonderful fun. And that's the first song we wrote for the, for my family genre. John Forster and I sat there. He's a wonderful uh, writer of, of all kinds of things, but he's done a lot of uh, theatrical writing. And I'm a folk writer. You know what that means, Robert? That means you get it half done and you go try it on audiences, you know? But a guy who is, works in theater says, once it goes off my table, it's it's set. So he, he always always say to me, don't take the pen away too soon. And it, it totally changed my writing and was a wonderful. I learned so much from him, which is that you sit and you, you, you work it, work until all the rough edges are not rough edges. They're delightful turns. And this song is about that is the idea of uh, we're a family and we're a tree. Our roots go deep down in history from my great, great grandparents reaching up to me. We're a green and growing family tree. We got that chorus and said, wow, let's follow it. It's a beautiful sentiment. And then, I, again, we segued into Ellis Island, which I thought had a very similar theme to that, don't you think? So Ellis Island, I went, took my daughters. My, my wife was uh, uh, had, a, had a store and she was out and about. So I had a free day. I said, let's go to Ellis Island. I, I've never been there. I've lived here my whole life. I'm in New York. <laughs> you don't go to those things. And I took Ab Abigail and Lily there. And this is before... Sandy, the Sandy hurricane trashed it. Now it's back, and, I'm, and we're talking about going with my grandchildren. But anyway, we, I went there. It was a moving experience. It was. My great-grandparents uh, came before uh, and, and after Ellis Island, but 17 million people, you know, are totally connected to what came, went through, through Ellis Island. And I was working on an album with my friend Michael Mark, my bass player, and I started telling him, you know, last week we went to Ellis Island. He said, what are you kidding me? What day? I took my kids out, you know, the two of us compared notes. And then we sat down and said, Let, let's, let's, we got to write this. And, and uh, I'll tell you, Robert, uh, last week I was in uh, Arizona and I did a benefit for the uh, Green Valley, Suarita, Arizona, Samaritans who go to the everyday drive up and down the wall and find people who need, need water and need blankets just to help at the border just at the border. And, and, uh, and I sang, and I did a benefit for him, and I sang this song, Ellis Island. And it felt like we were talking the truth about every person who tries to get here. Isn't it ironic that, you know, you, you mentioned Ellis Island. I've been there myself. You know, it was the place where millions of people came into this country from other countries to start a new life. And of course, millions came in at the turn of the century now you look at the, the way that immigration is considered in this country, almost like an evil. And yet that's what made this country as great as it is. And, and you know what? We're all part of this. One of, one of the Chapins came in 1630, Deacon Samuel Chapin. So you figure out how hard his life was in 1630 to come here. From and, where? Uh, 
from uh, from England, but he was uh, part of the uh, the Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, he was one of the families that came th uh, there and, and founded Springfield. There's a statue of, of him in Springfield by Auguste Saint Gaudin, and it's also a copy in the in the Met. And my, and uh, my grandma, who was not a, also was a, was a Forbes, and her family was old too. She was always proud of this, and I always thought, how hard must it have been where they were living if they were going to make that that choice to come Imagine and that. which is which is the truth of, of what's happening now you know uh, and and yet other ones came um, the batrams came from england in uh, in in the 1880s you know but all of us including indigenous people if you you know all came from someplace else it's all been repopulated and if you face if you really look at the thing uh that's who has energized and made this country what it is and this is the dream of this country, uh, not necessarily the reality, but certainly the dream is what brings some people here. Well, I'm glad that you wrote that song because we need those kinds of messages out there. We really do. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is Listen Close. If you listen close, I'll share a thought or two about who I am and what I'm trying to do. I have come to toss some words up in the air With a tune to float and fly them to your ear I am not a savior sent here from on high I am just a singer trying to get by I'm not a messenger from some far distant star Just a poet with an old guitar. Tell us about that one. My life in music is a collaboration. I started with my brothers. I was 12, Harry was 14, Steve was 11. Steve and I were choir boys and had played classical instruments. My grandma made sure we were into music. Harry took trumpet. He wasn't a choir boy, he was a little older. And the summer I was 12, we heard a recording called The Weavers at Carnegie Hall. Pete Seeger, Ronnie Gilbert, Lee Hayes, Fred Hellerman, four people who had major hits in the late 40s and early 50s. Zenda, 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 Zenda was the number one hit. So long, been good to know you. Another one. And Irene, good night. The Lead Belly song. Yep. Okay. And then they were blacklisted because they were doing a lot of benefits for left-wing communist various things. And now 1955, their manager says, maybe it's time we get back together again. Uh, they, they got the uh, Carnegie Hall, sold out in two hours, and they recorded it. And that recording is what inspired not only us, Tom Paxton, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Right. Everybody mentioned The Kingston it. Trio. Yep. That whole folk thing started with the Weavers, and everybody copied them. And so Pete, not only, Pete Seeger not only started the solo folk singer you know, guy, but also the folk group. And we did. So that's a collaboration with my brothers. And now recently I, I, I do sing, write stuff, my, you know, solo, but my favorite thing is to get together with a friend, sit at a table and we invent it together. And, as, and every one of these guys has a totally different, and, and gals have a different way of working. This I wrote with Cy Khan. Cy Khan is a uh, amazing guy. You should Google him if you don't know who he is, listeners. Uh, but he uh, was a, is a, a really involved in, in social issues. Also wrote, wrote a couple of fabulous songs, Aragon Mill, some other ones. Anyway, he comes to New York once 
he has a sister in, in who lives in Harlem, and he's it's like, so he's coming. I'm coming. I'm coming into town. I I got a day and a half. You want to write some songs? Sure, let's do it. And we get together, and sigh. We start something and get it about two verses a chorus. He says, "Okay, you finish it." And it works the next. And in a day and a half, we got like six songs you know, that, that I have to finish. So he started with, "I am not a savior sent here from on high. I am just a singer trying to get by. I'm no messenger from some far distant star. Just a poet with an old guitar." He starts writing these these couplets, mm-hmm. and I tried to make this work. And I thought, boy, that's pretty arrogant saying that, you know, to start a song about I'm no savior. I'm not. But then I came up with the idea of listen close. There's magic in the air. And and that whole line about listen close. I share a thought or two about who I am and what I'm trying to do. I've come to toss some words up in the air with a tune to float and fly them to your ear. And that to me made the song work in the sense that this is about what you and I do. You know, we're, we're singer songwriters. And then we also travel, you work. And so that's what the song became about. And I like the fact that we, you know, I'm no, I'm not a preacher calling judgment down. I'm, I love these, his couplets he came up with and I had to make a, find a way to make it work. Maybe this is too much information, but that's the way it went. I have to tell you, I'm very impressed that you remember all of these lines. Okay. Because <laughs> so many of us get to a certain age where if we don't have it right in front of us, you know, like a teleprompter or something, oh, you've got. You've got a cheat sheet. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> well, that one I I I, I do know, uh, but but trying to pull them out, you know, it's interesting. You, you're absolutely right. As you get older, I had a TV show called Make a Wish back in the '70s, and I had to learn pages of dialogue that I could just spit off, and I did it. But I was 24, you know. <laughs> and when you're 77, it's a different world. <laughs> different. All right, listen. I would be remiss if I didn't ask about your brother Harry. Sure. Because sure. he was a big star in his lifetime with that song, Taxi. It was raining hard in Frisco. I needed one more fare to make my night. A lady up ahead waved to flag me down. She got in at the light. Oh, where you going to, my lady blue? It's a shame you ruined your gown in the rain. She just looked out the window. She said, 16 parks, I think. Did you ever do any music with him? Sure. We started as the Chapin brothers. Harry was the lead dog. He was uh, two years older than I was and uh, an amazing guy. You know, I mean, there's a wonderful documentary, which I urge you to see. It's, it's on Amazon Prime now. It's called When in Doubt, Do Something. And it's, and it's a wonderful documentary about Harry Chapin. And it starts off with the family. So we're in it and talking about it. And then his career, meteoric career, that 10 years and he did 11 albums and his death. But during that time, also the, the hung, whole hunger issue, he got very involved with. And he almost single-handedly got the hunger commission, a presidential hunger commission with uh, Jimmy Carter. And then he started Long Island Cares, the biggest uh, food bank on Long Island, started Why Hunger, organization that puts hungry people in touch with food helps them towards self-reliance, still doing wonderful work. What drove him in that direction? Why did he go in that direction? Uh, He said to me once, when he became a star, he said, you know, being a a rock star is kind of jive. 
what it, but what it can be is a bully pulpit. And he wanted to make it more more interesting than just writing the next hit song. I remember he, he called me up uh, when uh, we were the two in the family who were like the uh, performers. I was doing my stuff. He was doing stuff. Steve was more of the producer. He produced a bunch of, of Harry's albums and a bunch of other stuff as well. But so he would call me up and, you know, he's, he's on the road. He said, Tom, Cats in the Cradle is number one on all three, on all three. The billboard, you know, uh, it's number one. You know what I'm thinking? I said, no, what? How do I follow it up? He said, what a crazy life this is. You, 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 you want to have a hundred number record and then you don't even enjoy it. You now, now it's the worry about what you follow it up with, but he wanted to matter, you know, uh, the family joke, which I coined and everybody liked was two's company. Harry's a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. You know, I've, I've heard from so many artists in that era and even before then that, there was such pressure to come up with the second song so they wouldn't be a one-hit wonder. And of course, the record labels wanted the second song to be exactly the same as the first song. Yeah. But, you know, Harry Chapin had a, a message in his songs that, again, it was, in a sense, it was rare in the music industry, okay? And, uh, you know, he was a great artist in that, as you said, it was a meteoric rise to success, wasn't it? It was, and uh, I, I remember uh, talking to Alex Hasselev, one of the original uh, guys on the uh, on the Journeyman, and uh, and oh, and the, and the Limelighters, a great banjo player, and he was talking. He says, "You know, it's amazing that Harry ever got on the radio, because those are folk songs, Cats in the Cradle. They're story songs, you know. Right. And it's actually it's it's one of the interesting things to me about what what I do and why it's worked very well for families as well as you know us is is that the basic idea of a ballad a folk folk ballad is a singable chorus with a story verse i mean there's many other ways it goes of course but that's what cats in the cradle is it's a, it's a it's a story of a man coming to grips with the idea I wasted my all this time away from my kid, and look what he's become. You know that, and so no matter what kind of kid you are, no matter what kind of father or grandfather or grandmother or grandma, it's a true song. You know, it's true to what we what we've all gone through, and also uh, taxi. You know, that's that uh, that rueful thing of of this guy who had all these dreams, and now he's driving a taxi. And in, 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 and Harry almost drove a taxi. Actually, he. Uh, he got a taxi license. He was working in films before he got back into music and uh, and documentary films. And and he didn't couldn't get a job, so he got a taxi license. Get a drive on Monday night, and all weekend he's thinking, "Oh man, what if Claire? That was the original girlfriend's name. What if what if Claire gets in gets into the cab? What am I going to tell her? What am I going to say?" And on Monday he gets a couple of jobs, so he never drives a cab. But that became. Oh, this is, that's the story. You know, that's it was funny. raining hard and put it in Frisco. It's raining hard in Frisco. I needed one more fare to make my night. And he just followed that, that whole trail. The girl gets in the car and what are you talking about? Okay. You know, we must get together, but I knew it ever be arranged. Hands me $20 for a 250 fare. Harry, keep the change. Yep. It was a great song. Great song. Great era. I'm trying to think who else in that era kind of captured that type of flavor. The only name that comes to mind is Jim Croce. A little bit. A little bit, exactly. Uh, at the same time. Yeah, wow. Yes, exactly. But there are other people that have written great songs. I mean, story songs. Uh, I, I think uh, Piano Man it fits in that world. You know, it's really Billy Joel. 
And in fact, in the movie, Billy Joel was great. He really wonderful talking about Harry, but he, he says, you know, when I was younger, everybody was saying, yeah, man, that, that sounds like a Harry Chapin song. He used to bug me. Now I feel like I'm honored. He was, you know, he was really wonderful about that, you know. There you go. All right, let's do one more song here. Let's go to The Pretty Planet. Golden sun going down, gentle blue giant spin us around all through the night. Safe till the morning light. Tell us about that one. This pretty planet it was uh, is around, around for the round earth. Round means that if you start in different places, it just all harmonizes. And so John Forster and I wrote it. And uh, on this this track, you'll hear my daughters, Abigail was eight and Lily was six, first time they were in the in the studio. Now they're the Chapin sisters. And go Google the Chapin sisters. They are amazing and have uh, a number of things, uh, uh, recordings. But we needed a woman, woman's voice, and uh, and so I, I just on a whim called up Judy Collins's, uh, who I, I had met but didn't know her well then, and um, I called up the her office and I sent the tape and I said, I'd love it if she come and sing a couple of songs with me, and I didn't hear for two weeks and I thought, okay, that that was a flame out. Let me think what we could do here, and then I get a call from the office and said. Is this Tom Chapin? This is so and so from Judy Collins. She wants to know when the recording session is. I said tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever now. she wants it to be. <laughs> when can she be there? And she came and sang three songs on the recording. It was great. And 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 that and that voice. I mean, you know, it's 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 a voice for the ages. And she's still singing that way now in her eighties. I mean, unbelievable. It is remarkable. And what a lovely lady. I, I saw her perform last summer. And uh, she was clear as a bell, that voice and her stories and everything. Just fantastic. Unbelievable. A great artist. And so I, I was blessed with that. And, and, uh, and then uh, this song has become a song that music teachers throughout America use. I can't tell you how many school kids know this song. And because it's a simple, very simple uh, environmental song, and you can teach a music class to just learn the thing and then, oh, we can do this in a round. And as I said, during COVID, I mean, there must be a thousand YouTube teachers up there, you know, who who did this song. We're, we're going to do this pretty planet. And they and they did it Zoom. And Claudia at my office uh, kept sending, you know, every day there'd be two or three more. So, I mean, I'm literally, there must probably a thousand teachers have used this. And so I think, you know, when I when I'm gone, this is the one they're going to quote, you know, it's 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 an amazing. Also, it woke up the um, the astronauts in the Discovery 7 space shuttle. Wow. They, they played it. Uh, John Glenn, they played it to, to wake him, wake up John Glenn. And then Christopher Reeve, the wonderful actor who had the terrible accident when he was uh, it was it was his family's he and Dana and his and his son's uh, favorite song. And I got this uh, call. I was playing uh, in Princeton, and we get a call from Christopher Reeve's mom. It said, "You know, Chris and Dana, are, and and I think it's Will is this was the kid, are going to come to your concert. Uh, can can Dana sing the song with you? It's their favorite song." And Claudia, my office says, "I'm not sure if this is a hoax or not." I said, "Say yes." You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
And we didn't rehearse or anything. I just said, I'm going to do family tree and then we'll do this pretty planet. So during family tree, I look over and there's Dana. And at the beginning of the concert, the lights go down, but he's there and, and they wheeled in Chris in the back, you know, because he's in that thing like this. Right. Anyway, she sang it with me with her and her son, and they sang the round. And then afterwards, uh, I you know after a kids' record, you go uh, after a family show, you go out and meet the kids and do stuff. And they waited around for forty five minutes, and then I and I then we spent about an hour together just talking about stuff. And it and it, it's really astonishing how you write a song and you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what's happening. And and this was never a hit record. It was not in a movie. But it went out there and touched people, and you say, "Wow, that's what that's what you want." That you know, it's like it's like with your kids. I hope you you know you, you want your kid to go out and touch, do some good work. And so this one's out there going, and uh, God bless it. Good for you. You have been doing good work. It sounds to me like you're going to get nominated as Teacher of the Year in addition to being <laughs> Songwriter of the Year and earning all those Grammys. We have been talking here with Tom Chapin. Tom, it's been a fantastic experience to hear about all of your successes in the music world and in life in general. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Robert, thanks for doing this, man. What a pleasure talking to you. G good luck and uh, onward and upward. Upward and upward, I agree with you. We're going to listen now to the song that started out underneath the introduction, and we play it at the end. It's my kid's song called Yay. To the Zoo. I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.
crazy.